Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We are back, and this is the podcast Julie and I have been working on for the past three days um, that's about the commission sharing lawsuits and the fact that really at this point the plaintiffs have won. So we're going to be talking about the ramifications to the industry only a tiny bit. What we're really going to focus on in today's podcast is what you must be doing now. We Look, you guys are boots on the ground. You guys, agents, that's a majority of our listeners. This podcast will probably have 15, 20,000 downloads today and gosh knows how many views on YouTube. 99.9% of the people that are listening and watching are real estate agents. And you guys want to know, what, how's this going to affect me, my business, my lifestyle, my ability to pay my bills? Well, we're going to go through all of that on today's podcast. We're going to run probably longer than a half hour because Julie has prepared a ton of notes. And speaking of notes, the notes for today's podcast are mostly down below. Some of the notes we have, um, we're using from different websites as you, uh, Julie and I present. But the notes are there. So you can scroll down at any time if you're on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and all the other dozens of places where this podcast lives. And of course on YouTube, just scroll down, look at the notes. And when you're there, take a moment to join Premier Coaching. It's the next natural step for all of you. Guys, listen, you all know this. And if you don't know this, uh, and I'm the first one to tell you, please listen carefully. Everything in real estate has changed. The way you go about just operating on a day-to-day basis has changed for most of you. Some of you, frankly, our coaching clients, um, you are now 100% celebrating your best years ever because we've had you operating um, in what we knew would be, be this new market for, in some cases, decades. Some of our coaching clients have been with us for decades. And we've always known, Julie and I always knew, and, and if you're longtime followers of Julie and I, you know, going all the way back, you know, 15 years, even longer, we have always suspected that the buyer's agent commission would become a, no longer an entitlement of the transaction. And we've always uh, coached and trained you guys to make it so that you have a more formalized approach when working with buyers. And all of those chickens have come home to roost. And that's what we're going to be talking about today and what actions you need to be taking now. So Julie, and without any further delay, and Julie does have little allergies again today, so we're going to have to all muddle through that. Yes, sorry if I clear my throat here and there. Okay, so before we talk about how you should be thinking about this, what you should be doing about this, and I even have a quote from some of our coaching clients, how they're dealing with it, what are we even talking about? So a quick little background, just a couple of paragraphs here. What happened last week? Well, uh, here's the headline. Missouri jury finds realtors brokerages guilty of conspiring to inflate commissions. After two weeks of testimony, the Kansas City jury found NAR, Home Services, and Keller Williams guilty of collusion. And I think many of us were surprised by that. A Kansas City jury has found NAR, uh, Home Services, and KW guilty of colluding to inflate to maintain or maintain high commission rates through NAR's clear cooperation rule in the Sitzer Burnett Buyer Broker Commission lawsuit. You guys have heard about this floating around out there. This is what it's about. The defendants have been ordered to pay damages of $1.78 billion. That's B, uh, billion. Treble damages could result in NAR and brokerages paying roughly $5.36 billion. It also appears that it has opened the door to additional potential copycat lawsuits already being filed in other states. All right, so what we're not going to be talking about um, are the again the ramifications of the industry on a whole? Not really getting too much into that because you could argue a bunch of different ways on how um, like how could there be any sort of big cabal of people price fixing when that commission sharing thing has been around uh, for a yeah. hundred years and all the rest of it. There yeah, are how lot- can there be a conspiracy that kind of thing? Exactly. There's a lot of other people that will pontificate about that, but like I said, Julie and I are practical and tactical, so we're not going to waste your time on that. Well, because it's already been decided, it probably will be appealed. But right now, Judge Stephan Bow, this is the last part I'm going to read this time, uh, who is overseeing the suit, still needs to issue his final judgment on the case. Before the verdict is final, he has a wide latitude in issuing injunctive relief. Now, what's important about that? We have had panic phone calls. I've had some interesting coaching calls. The coaches are, of course, uh, in front of all of this. The question du jour is, am I supposed to change anything right now today? No, because of what I just read. It hasn't actually come down 
what uh, the judge is going to say will change, right? The jury found the verdict guilty, but now the judge has to actually uh, rule on this. And we're going to, again, let's get to the notes so that just, you and yes, I are- Yes, that was, I just wanted to make sure they knew that the whole thing is not just closed and over with. No, exactly. And, and you and I are holding ourselves back from wanting to talk about the stuff that's interesting I about know. this. All <laughs> right, so we're going to go through the rules, uh, you know, essentially to really clear the air, and then we're going to give you what we feel to be the most likely outcomes over time. Yes, the possibilities, how it could go. Okay, so as always, we start with a mindset point, and point number one is don't panic. The judge has not yet ruled on what changes will be made to how buyer agency actually works. This case, as well as several more, will take months maybe even years to be finalized. For most agents and brokers, there will be no immediate changes to be made, but check with your broker and your own MLS to see if any modifications have been made. And we should also say, obviously, Julie and I are not advocating for one commission rate or not doing anything like nope. that. Full disclosures. Yeah, full disclosures. Um, and so, yeah, the number one thing is don't panic and nothing really is going to change in a meaningful way. There's going to be the legal process is going to play out. National Association of Realtors is has filed an appeal and the appeal could result in, frankly, the whole thing being thrown out. Time will tell. Over time, we'll mm -hmm. be reporting on this so you guys can be prepared. But really, the resolutions that we're going to give you from today's show are going to, I think, calm the waters for a lot of you and help you just focus forward and get back to work. Yes. And point number two, because some of you are freaking out about the word billions in this uh, potential settlement, uh, the question has been, do the brokerages and NAR actually have the money to pay? Well, the actual amounts will likely be smaller due to the fact that not everyone in a class action lawsuit will actually participate in the settlement. Additionally, there will be appeals, as Tim mentioned, that could change the ultimate outcome of these cases as well as settlement figures, and it might even be thrown out entirely. So someone explained that to me yesterday. So if there's $5.37 billion, because what happens is then a trouble thing, it's, tri it's tripled. So if it's a billion, now it's tripled. So what we're seeing, and again, Julie and I are not lawyers, and if you are listening to us for legal advice, you're crazy. Okay. <laughs> so just that. be clear about that. All right. So, uh, but what we understand has to happen now are the attorneys who won the lawsuit are then going to have to go and start sending out the letters and marketing to all these people that may have been adversely affected in the state of Missouri as a result of, you know, this, the judgment. In other words, they're going to have to now put the class together. And so I talked to um, actually Keith and I mm -hmm. talked to a couple other people. Generally speaking, best case scenario, they're going to get something like 20% of the people that could be eligible for receiving uh, part of the settlement are going to want to participate. I don't know if you guys have been uh, received cards in the mail and seen advertisements on TV. Sure. I'm sure you all have from class action attorneys. You know, did you buy a can of Pepsi in 1972 and you know whatever? You I may mean, be eligible to participate <laughs> in a class action lawsuit. Exactly. So that's where the next phase of all this. It's going to be primarily in Missouri. So then what has to happen? And this is the part that's really interesting that I didn't know. So it's five billion dollars, right? So if only 20% of, so the $5 billion is for hypothetically all the people that were adversely affected, but they only get, and I don't know what that number was, say it's 5,000, but if they only get 20,000 or 20% uh, of those people, if that to participate, then obviously you're looking at 20%. And that the total amount that the national brokerages and national association of realtors and the rest of it would be hypothetically liable for would be 20% because they reduce the total amount of money that will be paid out to the actual size of the class. Now, the reason uh, that it's really critical and NAR is going to do this is going to appeal the case because in an appeal, if NAR wins, that will pretty much put an end from what we understand to all the uh, future, the copycat all the copycat lawsuits. Because the attorneys are going to say, well, this one got thrown out unless I have, you know, different facts that I might be able to, you know, hang my hat on. I'm going to not even waste my time trying to, you know, chase that rabbit. And that is the reason that NAR had to appeal and is appealing. And a lot of the, um, you know, brokerages are going to tag along right, right along with them. That's right. Okay, so that covers the uh, scary billion <laughs> reporting. Okay, now, what you're all wondering, point number three, what will happen as a result of these lawsuits and settlements? Or I should say, what could happen? The most likely outcome, we're going to do kind of a waterfall approach here, most likely, then might happen, and then worst case scenario. Most, and then we'll talk about what we think is probably going to happen. The most likely outcome, the listing contract will change to be more transparent. The seller will have a choice of what to pay the listing agent and what to pay the buyer's agent. There will be two different places to fill out on the contract. Now, some listing agreements are already like this. So if that's how it already is for you, you might not have that big of a change. Now, hopefully everyone, everyone being buyers, sellers, buyers, agents, and listing agents, 
will still agree that buyer agents have value. Because everyone is used to splitting the commissions and sellers are used to paying for both sides, there may not be any appreciable change to how things are done. Now, note, I wanted to use this as an example because the Northwest MLS, uh, which when we talk about Northwest MLS, that uh, refers to the 26 counties in Northwestern Washington State, basically Seattle and surrounding uh, counties and going out maybe you know, halfway into the state of Washington. We have a lot of great coaching clients there. We do. I'm about to quote one of them. Ah. Um, in fact, in July of 2022, so quite some time ago, the Northwest MLS did exactly what we just mentioned. It made it very clear that sellers had flexibility in how much commission they would offer to buyer's agents. They made it more obvious in the contract, more obvious in the MLS, and gave agents the ability to create their own custom commission agreements depending on the situation. It also prohibited the ability to search listings based on commission. So all of that was done in one piece for the Northwest MLS in July of 2022. So you might wonder, what happened with that? Well, I happen to have an elite coaching client named Brian Side, who does sell in Seattle. So if you have any referrals for Seattle, send them over to Brian Side. He explains it this way. I'm going to quote him here for a couple of paragraphs. He says, in most cases, sellers continue to pay the lion's share of the buyer broker's compensation. However, that will continue to be tested. Buyer brokers must be able to articulate a clear value proposition or their compensation will be grossly and immediately devalued. Okay, sounds pretty familiar, right? That's actually very well written, too. He's a great writer, actually. I've read a lot of Brian's stuff. Um, some sellers have already offered zero compensation to buyer's brokers in luxury properties based upon their attitude that if a buyer can afford an expensive property, then they can also afford to compensate their broker. Frankly, being prepared for all discussion points without fear, but rather with facts, will win the day. Brokers must have multiple variations of the seller net proceeds and have actual evidence via their own published MLS closed sales, failed sales, and time on market that demonstrate the list of low or no offered compensation. And then he says, there's just so much to know and do. That is true. And well, Brian's so a, well put, right? Brian's an elite coaching client, and you told me about your coaching call you had with him. And yeah. he was basically having, wasn't he one of the ones having his best year ever? He's, he's having a great year. He's, he's actively working because his Northwest MLS has made these changes. He's updating his pre-listing package. I also had a great calls with um, Tammy in Northern Virginia, one of my broker clients. She's like, I have no fear of this because she, her, her comment to me was, uh, much like Brian, they're used to using buyer presentations. They're used to getting the they buyer rep brokers, agents, our coaching clients, okay? They've been doing this for years, okay? Right. So Tammy was like, I don't think I'm going to have to change anything. And so I had a two-stage approach on coaching calls. One is um, making sure that, I mean, in most cases, I already know if I am their coach, um, that they are using their buyer presentation, but also that they're remembering to close for the exclusive buyer representation at the end. And they are, and they're fearless about it. So circling the wagons, what Julia is saying, and this is what all of you guys should be doing, whether you're coaching clients of ours or not, and you'd be crazy not to, because we've already done all the heavy lifting for you, is that your approach to working with buyers is going to have to move away from being primarily a social thing. And I don't take that the wrong way. All I'm trying to say is you haven't had to have a, a formal presentation. You haven't, to Brian's point, had to explain to the buyer what your unique selling proposition was. 99% of you have never used an exclusive buyer agency form before. You've never provided the buyer with net sheets. You've never actually taken your service level, your presentation level, your sales skills to the same level as, for example, a listing agent would. Well, guess what? Now you have to. And in Premier Coaching, we've already done it for you. There's a complete buyer presentation in there, complete buyer uh, pre-qualification script in there. All the things are done. All you have to do is use the things. And those things have been in place as part of our coaching program for almost 20 years. So Julie and I have been there, done that, and coached many, many agents to do that. We did that when we sold real estate. All of our buyer's agents, and we had seven of them at the time, they had to have the buyer agency contract signed, the state-required agency form. They had to have an exclusive buyer agency contract signed, and they had to have the net sheet signed. The buyer came in. The buyer uh, got this nice presentation. The buyer, at the end of the nice presentation, the next natural step after a great presentation is obviously they're going to sign the contract, and that's the way it worked. And if they didn't sign the contract, that buyer agent had some options, one of which was not to work with the buyer. That's called being a professional. And that's how you should have been doing it for years. This is why I was thrilled from our coaching uh, calls right after this happened, both from the coaches reporting as well as my own elite coaching calls like Brian and Tammy. Um, 
because they're like, yeah, what's the big deal? Because they're already prepared, okay? Now, I also wanted to bring up something that John Solman, another coaching client in the panhandle of Florida, told me. He said that after this went down and there was all this agent chatter online, he decided to go to an agent meeting <laughs> and just kind of hover. Now, he already has a buyer presentation. Of course, like all of our coaching clients, he's ready to rumble. He was just going there to see what was going on in their heads, right? And he said, you will not believe what the discussion was. He said that not only did they not have a buyer presentation, they weren't even having the required basic agency conversation. And one of the agents was essentially bragging about the fact that they made it to the closing table and their buyer sat down and said, well, how much do I owe you? What, how does this go? At the closing table. So this is not something that is super radical. I think that it's the catalyst is the, this lawsuit discussion. You guys should have been doing this the whole time anyway. Now you're really going to have to do it if you expect to be paid. And I'll give you some it, Well, examples. but just for the record, guys, if you uh, the commission thing has been the way it is, you know, a buyer's agent and a listing agent going back 100 years. But buyer's agency, exclusive buyer's agency became a thing in 1996. I think that's actually that's when right. it became... Uh, the national, or, you know, through the 96. national, right, yep. 96. So that's how long this has all been around. So since 96, there have been people that have been trying to get the industry to formalize their approach with working with buyers. Now I realize this is going to absolutely eviscerate a lot of uh, agents' businesses, the low skilled agents who've been buying their business. That's right. You and I on our walk this morning, we were doing some calculations. Um, if you're an agent and you have, you know, if you calculate all and you're buying your leads, if you're if you're a team and you've got buyer agents and you're buying leads from Zillow Flex or something like that, and you back all your costs out, your buyer's agents are going to make basically nothing. They're making what twenty five percent or less now. Ten thousand comes in, twenty five hundred goes to the buyer's agent. That's usually how it works on most teams. Well, now that the buyer's agent has to actually have to, you know, learn to sell to the buyer why they actually are deserving of the ten thousand dollar commission in the first place. How many of those buyer's agents are are going to actually take the time to learn that skill set? That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the real problems are going to be and challenges are going to be for the industry. And Julie, I will let you get back to your notes. Yes. Okay. So. What we just talked about was basically best case scenario. We change the forms a little bit. There's more transparency and you have to be a bit more specific well, in your presentation. I'll say best case scenario is that NAR wins the well, appeal. Well, it gets thrown out. Yeah. And then it gets thrown out and all the other lawsuits basically don't even go anywhere because of the appeal. And I personally think, and uh, no one hold me to this, mm -hmm. <laughs> no one, sure. but I think that's what's going to happen. I, I hope so. I, I think either it's going to get completely thrown out or it's going to get essentially trimmed back because uh, I won't get into bloviating about my opinions, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the agents have to deal with what the agents have to deal well, with. Well, that's that's my conclusion as well, is that all that being said, even if it does get greatly trimmed back or thrown out, I think that the press that this happened uh, has caused brokerages and MLSs and boards of realtors to look at their forms and make it more transparent. So we don't have to go do all this over well, again in a few years. You and I, look, I'm looking forward to you getting into how the commission's actually going to be paid because you and I had a lot of fun thinking through that. Yeah. So let's proceed. Let's get right okay, back. Okay. So that was one scenario. Another possible outcome, not as great for realtors, the contract changes and the sellers decide that they might not want to pay the buyer side commission at all pay a smaller percentage or pay a flat fee. Now, Brian alluded to some of that in uh, the quote that he gave me about some of his higher end sellers already saying, I'm not going to even chip into the buyer side because, you know, they ought to be able to pay it. So that could happen at a different scale. Now, this would be a major pivot and potential disruption. It might not happen uniformly throughout the country. Some markets might stick to the old model, like mostly the Northwest MLS has, but some might also be more fluid. This could create a situation where we have a mixture of anywhere from 0% or $0 buyer side co-op on up to the traditional 2 to 3% or maybe a flat fee in some cases. Now, you mentioned the injunction that the judge has yet to uh, basically lay down. Now, what we have heard, we've read this, is that one of the, uh, some people are saying worst case scenario is the- I'm going to get to that. Oh, you are. I'm not going to- That's next. Me. Okay, good. All right. So this is the middle scenario. <laughs> All right. Don't work ahead. You'll confuse me. Sorry. Okay. So this, what I just read, where um, we do have transparency, just like the first example, but maybe your market, factions of your market, decide they are not down with paying uh, buyer side commissions or consistently that way. So this creates several questions and issues. A, buyers will have to pay for their representation out of pocket or might have to pay out of pocket versus having it baked into the price and paid by the seller. Also, 
Little point B, buyer's agents will have to use a buyer presentation, we were just talking about that, which ideally results in a signed exclusive buyer agency agreement where the buyer agrees to cover the buyer side commission if it's not paid by the seller or a portion of it if it's not all covered by the seller. There will probably be new forms to fill out and attach to the purchase offer where the buyer is requesting commissions to be covered by the seller. Buyers may ask for buyer commissions to be paid as a seller's concession. You will need to provide a few different buyer net sheets, that's also new, based on how the transaction could go for full disclosure to your buyer prospects. So Julie, how much seller concessions can how much seller concessions can the buyer and the buyer's agent actually ask for from the seller? Yes, currently seller concessions can equal up to 3% of the purchase price for conventional deals and up to 6% for FHA and VA. And I have an example for you. I know that some of you kind of don't either have never done seller's concessions, you've never asked for them. Some of you as listing agents have rejected them because you're not used to doing it. So how would that work? Here's an example. Let's say a buyer wants to purchase a $300,000 home. They ask for 3% seller's concessions to pay their buyer agent. They offer 309,000. So the seller pays the commission and the seller still gets full list price. See how we did that? Three times three is nine. That's 3%. We put it on the top. Thus, if, we got to 309. Assuming the buyer's agent commission is 3%, we're not suggesting it be 3%. It's you, just an example. You and your It's an example. You and your buyer agent can adjust accordingly. Exactly. Maybe it was a flat fee of five grand, so you make it 305. But the home has to be appraised for, let's say in our case, 309. But this has not usually been a problem in a market where homes are still appreciating more than, say, 3% a year. It won't, however, work if that same buyer needs that $9,000 towards closing costs because seller's concessions, the allowable of 3% on conventional, 6% on FHA, that's for any kind of closing cost. Buyer side commission, it could be closing costs, it could be buying down a rate, it could be paying for homeowner's insurance, whatever. And in some cases, I could see that being mixed if the buyer needs uh, some dollars for closing and maybe wants to pay their buyer agent a little something. Well, it could be argued that uh, already factored into the value of real estate are all the buyer agent commissions. So it could be argued exactly. that this has been already happening um, just in a maybe less, I think, ownersome way that the buyer's uh, agent's commission says, oh, now, if there's all of a sudden, the law of the land is there's no more buyer agent commissions, does that mean every property coming for sale will automatically be priced 3% less? Of course not. Okay, hover on that thought because I guarantee you there's going to be some TikToks out there. <laughs> for sure. Where agents are going to be jumping around saying, because of this, we're going to have a 3% uh, immediate price deflation. No. And my counter yeah. to that is two things. For sale by owners, do they automatically give a 3% discount or whatever, choose your percent? Do builders automatically discount that? No. So I, I don't believe that that's going to happen. Again, we're not going to talk about our opinions on the lawsuit, uh, but it is fascinating if you consider if you're selling your house and you're paying both sides of the commission, uh, but then you're going to buy your next house. And let's say in most cases, it's going to be more expensive than your previous one. That seller is paying your buyer side commission. So really at the end of the day, it kind of all it's washes. It's just a pass through basically. It's just a pass through. Yeah. It, it all washes out. Now, FHFA may make it so buyers can finance the buyer side commission into the mortgage. NAR may be lobbying for this. If that happens, I'm sure there will be a protocol there will probably be different rules for FHA, VA, USDA, uh, conventional, and jumbo. So right there is, I would be shocked if that didn't happen, aren't you, honestly? What? I would be. The, the, there's a line of thinking that the FHFA may not be down with buyers essentially paying interest if it's baked into the loan. But I, I don't know whether that's really anything to worry about. We'll see how that goes. But keep in mind that aside from that, if we can finance it in, the example that I just gave, you're essentially financing it in with a seller's concession. So it, there's already a mechanism in place for but that But it's happen. worse than that. And again, I did, I'm trying to my best not to talk about the lawsuit. But if you're going to put your house for sale today based on previous comps, which included a buyer's agent commission, you're listing for $400,000. Yeah. And now this has changed. And let's just say, I know we haven't gotten to our worst case scenarios. Worst case scenario is there's no longer a uh, the buyer's agent commission is not paid by the seller. So it the four percent was or the three percent on the buyer side was baked in mm -hmm. at the four hundred price. Well, now that seller is just going to raise the price by 
you know, 3%. Right. And so what they've done actually through this is they've made it so that the home real estate is going, and again, this isn't, we don't think this is going to happen, but this is what could happen. Real estate will automatically be priced more. Um, and that's going to even put more pressure on agents or I rather on buyers who can't get uh, financing, you know, down payments and whatnot. Well, that's right. And it also, what you just mentioned, I hadn't even thought about it from an appraisal standpoint. Yeah. Like, what are you going to go research every single comp to see well, whether there was buyer agent commission in it? But Jules, getting back to the FHA FA thing, that's where they could probably, uh, you know, be a little bit more flexible is knowing that the appraisal might have to come in maybe, you know, two and a half percent higher mm -hmm. than really what it would have otherwise been. And they'll have to so, factor for that. But mm -hmm. we're in a long term inflationary cycle, as you and I have been. It's you know, probably it, fine. It's more than fine. OK, so other things that the uh, questions that this creates. Some buyers will simply be unrepresented because they can't or won't agree to the risk of having to pay their buyer side commission themselves. This will potentially put them at a disadvantage in finding inventory, negotiating, choosing the right lenders, home inspectors, and so on. It will also cause you to potentially have fewer buyers that you're working with. Well, let me just pile on to that one because I don't think you have in your notes talking about what we talked about a little bit yesterday, that companies, brokerages like EXP mm -hmm. and other national brokerages, they're just going to, in a lot of cases, if, again, we're playing out different scenarios, just trying to educate you guys. Remember the first point that Julie said to you, nothing changes for now, okay? A little more transparency, but it's fine. Right. You're, so you're going to see, hypothetically, a lot of, um, you know, a disentanglement from the local MLSs from the National Association of Realtors. I don't think that's a great idea. I'm, you know, Julie and I have seen over the last three decades the importance of the National Association of Realtors, especially has in D.C. So, frankly, we want the National Association of Realtors to be strong because they have done a fantastic job protecting homeowners' rights and protecting our industry. That is always going to be our stance on that. Now, I agree completely. Yeah, 100%. So with that, and it's, you know, so with that said, what you might see are companies like EXP, and I let's move the word might and say this is what you're going to see. They're going to essentially form their own national MLSs. I'm, it's not going to be called an MLS, where you know EXP mm -hmm. agents are going to put their listings, yes. and EXP agents are then going to have access to sell those listings to their buyers. And whatever the commission is on top of that, since they're not members of the National Association of Realtors, mm -hmm. so again, the injunction might be that this judge. Um, asks the National Association of Realtors, I know you said you're going to get to this, but... I, it's this, okay, this, you're this, good, you're good. Yeah, as going to not ask, but demand the National Association of Realtors makes it a violation of the code of ethics for the uh, seller to co-op 3% uh, to right. the buyer's agents. They Worst case scenario, that actually might be a change in the National Association of Realtors, meaning that that's going to then be passed down through the MLSs and all the rest of it. So at that point, oh, and look, you've already seen Redfin. They no longer are a part of National Association of Realtors. If that uh, creates all kinds of problems inside a brokerage model, right? So you're going to possibly see uh, big brokerages decide to not necessarily require their agents be members of National Association of Realtors anymore because of the fact that they don't want to have to, you know, be uh, regulate all that stuff, regulate all that stuff, and forcing their agents to follow that particular rule. Who knows? That's the point. But all these are different scenarios. And as this stuff evolves over the next two or three years through this appeals process, Julie and I will, of course. Um, give you the updated, you know, as the much skinny. the skinny, <laughs> the fluff free information as we can. Yes. Okay. So FHA, VA, first time buyers and buyers with smaller down payments will naturally be more likely to go unrepresented due to just not having the funds to cover their down payment, closing costs, out of pocket expenses, and a buyer's agent. Again, I would go back to asking for it from sellers' concessions, but some of them won't want to take that risk. Buyers may see and appreciate your value, especially if you do an actual presentation but might not be able to afford you. Affordability is already a major issue between accelerated home prices and higher mortgage interest rates. Now you're gonna add an additional expense and some buyers are simply just not gonna have the funds. Well, this goes back to um, slightly you know, deviating, but this is an important point. This goes back to the flawed buying buyer leads business model. Absolutely. And if you're Zillow, I have no idea what your plan B is. No. Because you, you've just essentially, your customer base of people buying leads, those that's gonna shrink. It is. It, it has to. It has to. Okay. Now, there could also be, this is something that I'm going to watch very closely. There could be a movement towards a flat fee on the buyer side of, say, $1,500, $2,500, dollars maybe more expensive. Uh, buyers agents need to make money, and buyers need representation. So these fees may be collectible up front by the buyer's agent, similar to an attorney's retainer fee. Again, new forms will probably be required if it goes that direction. And that just may become one option 
I think that's kind of a good in-between option. Say for a first-time buyer that doesn't have a lot of funds, they, they say, hey, you know, I would love for you to represent me. I totally value you, but I just don't have X amount of dollars to risk. But I'll tell you what, I'll pay a $1,500 flat fee. I will, in my opinion, there's zero chance that'll happen in mass because- I don't think it'd be in mass for yeah, sure. Yeah, that'll be, here, think about the cost that'll be associated against that. So you bring your $5,000 check back to your broker, yep. your errors and emissions insurance, your broker split. Mm. If you're on a team, your team split. You're still maybe, making nothing. Maybe that, you're still, you're making less than nothing. You're, yeah. you're paying to actually work with that buyer. Yeah, but I, I think that the flat fee, not very high fee, might be something that the less skilled agents run up the flagpole because they're going to try and make something and that's an easier conversation than the other ones, okay? Now, some upper-end buyers may also opt to be unrepresented because of the sheer cost of a typical 2 to 3% commission. The $500,000 buyer has to pay a $15,000 for representation. Will they really do that? Would paying a real estate attorney to represent them be cheaper? Will they go just directly to the listing agent? Okay, now here's where we're going to pivot for a second. Well, hold on. Yeah. Yes, the answer is yes, they will. They will pay yes. the commission, but uh, because most, for the most part, they're going to have lots of equity from their previous house. Yeah. And it, frankly, I don't think there's any real threat other than lack of professionalism and skill uh, to the buyer agent industry because consumers want buyer's agents. They do. People love to compare. People love to talk about this rosy marketplace in Australia where everything's an auction model. Oh, yes. And by the way, a lot of the people that are, you know, trying to dance on the grave of the typical commission structure that we have in that, you know, with, uh, in, in the United States and say, we should be doing things like they do it in this country or this country. And it's always Australia. Well, here's the thing. In Australia, you put your house for sale and it is an auction model. Do you not think that there's a commission that's going to be paid by the seller and both by the buyer? Let's just hover there for a second. When you put it, I was reading an article, it was hilarious. Mm -hmm. There is a Ferrari, you guys are going, what the hell is Tim talking about? Just bear with me. Tim's gone all car brained again. Okay. All right. There's a Ferrari. I think it's a 1963 Ferrari 250 GTO that's about to go for sale. The last one that sold privately was rumored to have sold around $75 million. $75 million. They're thinking this one's going to sell for over $100 million. Um, now, I will tell you from, uh, you know, being in a car brain, as Julie just said, that probably the seller is paying nothing, but most definitely the buyer's paying 10%. So if that car sells for $100 million, the commission to the, the buyer is going to have to pay for the right to buy that car is $10 million. When you see these auctions on TV for normal price stuff or go to an auction yourself, the seller is paying a commission and the buyer is paying a commission. Yep. You know, that's just the way it works. So when you hear these people, oh, auction model, it's the best thing ever. There are some advantages, hypothetically, if the house sells actually quickly. Uh, but what if it doesn't sell? What if the house goes to auction and it doesn't sell? And what if then they try it again and it doesn't sell? That's basically an expired scenario, right? Because if I'm a buyer, aren't I going to be like, well, it didn't even sell at auction. Why would I come in at the fullest price? And furthermore, buyer's agents, and you and I were asking ourselves this, mm -hmm. like, We've always used buyer's agents, even when we're buying, you know, dinky rental properties. Sure. We always do. Yes. And when we're buying personal places for ourselves, we never yep. try to do it ourselves. Nope. And we could if we wanted to. Totally could. Because a great buyer's agent delivers unbelievably powerful, you know, that you mm -hmm. won't get from a listing agent, frankly. Yes. They're going to tell you about the power lines. They're going to tell you about the this is and the other things. Local market knowledge. Good ones will. Good ones. So this, what this will be, this is a extension level event for mm -hmm. bad ones, for unskilled you know, or, you know, part-time, yeah, that. Yeah. Th it's th the Harry Potter sorting hat. <laughs> Which house will you be in? The successful agent or another house that has, you know, somewhere else? You guys remember yeah. that? That is what it is. That's what it's Sifting like. Sifting and sorting. So you can make a choice, but it's going to require you really, even on the buyer agent side, I mean, Julie says this in our best-selling book, Harris Rules, working with sellers is mental labor, working with buyers is physical labor. Well, now working with buyers is physical labor and it's mental labor as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, Let's go back to our question. Will this, if, if it becomes questionable, what's going to happen on the buyer side? Will some buyers simply go directly to the listing agent? Well, yes, of course, the easy button move for buyers would be to go directly to the listing agent, and that will create a whole new set of questions and concerns. Notably, dual agency will be affected because that gets messed with. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. It could be eliminated <laughs> altogether and already has been by some brokerages. So I don't even know if that's a rabbit hole. That's something far that's worse. That's worse. Well, well, we're going to stay out of that hole. Didn't we just um, hear yesterday that we're on one of the, we listened to hours of podcasts preparing all these points because there's so much BS 
people are just pontificating and making crap up. So we really had to spend a lot of this time. This was a hard one. This was a hard one to prepare <laughs> yeah. for. But Julie, didn't we learn yesterday that some state uh, banned dual agency? I want to say it was New York, but I would want to check yeah. my facts on that. Yes, and, and it's maybe not even, yes, a state can do that, but your broker can do that. Your MLS can do that. You know, you have to pay attention to what the rules are locally. So that doesn't mean listing agents, you can't sell your own house. No. It just means that you represent the seller. Period. And you have, period, and you have the buyer, and you have the buyer sign your agency form so that you're disclosing to them that you're only representing the seller. That's a way to essentially sell your own listings without ever having to worry about dual agency. Exactly. I mean, it is clean that way. So, okay. Now, another thing that could happen, buyer's agents shouldn't be choosing what to show based on what commissions are offered. Now, naturally, you would think to do that. Your job is to earn a living. But some MLSs are actually removing the ability to sort by commission offered, uh, by commission offered like the Northwest MLS did. This is also against buyer agency, which states that agents will do what's right for the buyer, not putting themselves first by seeking commission dollars. Now, wait, stay with me for a second. If buyer side commissions do become unpredictable, no longer guaranteed, or they become variable, buyers will prioritize listings. Buyers who are obligated to pay their own buyer agency commission will prioritize listings. That pay commission so that they don't have to. For example, I think the most obvious example and many of your deals, most of your transactions listeners are people that are repeat and referral clients, your database, your center of influence, referrals from a close friend who want to use you, who appreciate what you do. Then you do your buyer presentation and they're totally down with it. They'll sign that agreement that if it's not covered by the seller in the listing agreement, that they will pay you. But that doesn't mean they want to pay you. So what's a buyer going to do? They're going to find and prioritize what listings to see based on the fact that they will not have to pay a buyer agent commission or not all of it. Now, doesn't that put us right back to where we are today with how things actually work? Of course it does. So the result, listings that pay buyer side commissions, and we already know this. I just listened to a podcast about this. Talk about that. With a that lot of data. Yeah. Um, don't ask me the exact quote where it came <laughs> from because they listed about uh, like six or eight different sources. Let me, let me just take a pause. Yes. We are not advocating, because you know someone's going to say this. I'm sure. That buyer's agents only show the properties that offer the most commission. No, We're, actually, I'm pretty against that because I believe in agency and because your agency literally says that you're not supposed to put yourself first. So do not misquote Tim and Julie Harris. But what we are saying is there's been research that's proven that the houses that pay the most co-op happen to sell faster and for more money. And the ones that typically uh, expire or have longer days on the market or sell for less money than the comps that did pay buyer sides um, are the ones that had less than normal commission. Now, when we say normal commission, that's still a sliding scale. Right. Um, you know, less than what's normal in your market is what we would say. Okay. Well, we're going to we're going to do some drill down research on that. But from what we've been reading, and this isn't Tim and Julie says, this is what we've been reading and listening to. Yeah. There are a lot of people that have done some research and it only makes sense. It's I mean, pretty good research too. I listened to the thing. They, they uh, had a combination of people that study, find, they weren't like all just realtor types. They were people that study finance. There's analytics people. And what they, they studied, they studied a, a, grant, a big swath of all price ranges of listed properties during a certain uh, time frame. They studied all the closings and then they analyzed that. And they came up with the fact that, of course, the ones that have the buyer side uh, commission paid at or they said at or maybe just below, so not a radical decrease, were the ones that sold faster and for money. Do you remember, money. so just proving the point on the opposite end, mm -hmm. back when the day when Zillow was and all these other companies were trying to do these iBuyer programs mm -hmm. that all basically went down. Well, that's to, a great example. Actually. Yeah, and so what they were doing, it was that Zillow was doing it in Arizona. Zillow. No, it was Zillow and Open Door, I think. In Atlanta. Yeah, in Atlanta. And I think Phoenix. Too. Yeah, so what they were doing is they were actually lowering buyer agent commissions to see how low they could go before there was an adverse effect. They they talked about it. They had a white paper about it. They this were was proud. not secret, right? Yeah, they were super they, proud They of actually it. had a very specific strategy. They said for this 90 days, this quarter, we're going to try it at this percent. Next quarter, we're going to reduce it by a quarter percent, and we're going to keep on driving it down to see how low we can go. Yeah. And so, again, all these things have been tested. None of this really is new information. But what we're going to see, again, where we believe all this is going is what we've laid out for you guys so far. And Julie, our... Power's <laughs> bouncing around, but Julie, don't worry. You and I are completely on battery. We're good. As we do this podcast, 
We could all the on lights, generator. All the, yeah, but all the lights could go out and we'd rise. We're rain. good. We've so got your back. So do not worry. Welcome to Puerto Rico. <laughs> exactly. So again, the result is listings that pay buyer side commissions will sell faster due to more showings, more competition. That's what we're pretty much already doing. This is what we think will probably happen. But Julie's point was very interesting. So I'm going to go back because I hadn't heard anybody say that when she said that to me yesterday. I thought it was it was pretty genius. So it is possible that if you sign a buyer's agency contract and you are now as a buyer obligated to pay whatever the agreed to amount is, that you are going to prioritize looking at houses that actually will at least cover that particular expense so you don't actually have to pay it out of pocket. Yes, you the buyer. Forget about right. the agent looking for it. Right. The buyer is going to look for it because they are financially motivated to not have to pay that even if they're willing to. And I'll go as far as to say that the higher, it, I was going to say the higher end, but that's not really how it is. People are used to paying for professional services, yes. whether it be a doctor or an attorney mm -hmm. or just whomever, right? Of course. Someone comes out and gives you an, or a landscape design, they're going to charge you something. Mm -hmm. So people are used to paying for professional services. It yes. is an, an unusual deal. I mean, can you think of anything else, any other industry, uh, you know, agents where the, the seller was or whom you're buying the product from ends up paying the commission. I mean, mortgages work that way too, mm -hmm. honestly. Sure. I mean, mortgage brokers get their money from the, whoever they put mm -hmm. them, you know. Yep. So there are some exceptions, but not really. So this is going to, again, th this is going to be something that's going to for force agents into two buckets. One, they're going to try to make the old way work and they're going to be low skilled and they're going to just basically base their, you know, ability to sell real estate to buyers based on, you know, relationships and everything. And as that starts to change, as the rules start to change, as the commission levels start to drop, those people are going to needlessly suffer. And the rest of you, the smart ones out there, which is all of our listeners, or you wouldn't be listening, you are going to professionalize your approach. If you have a real estate team, if you have a real estate brokerage, you absolutely positively make these pivots now. Start training up your folks to understand this is how you actually work with buyers going forward. And even if the worst case scenario plays out, that all of a sudden there's some sort of national rule where there can't be any more buyer's agency, that doesn't mean the FHFA isn't going to make it so that there can be a separate form where the buyer is asking the list or the seller to pay the buyer's agent commission and that then can be financed or paid out of pocket. So these things will all be worked through. The essence of the lawsuit was about the uh, essentially the jury believed, the plaintiff's attorney did a great job making the jury believe that there was some coercion or some, you know, as I said, um, you know, anti-competitiveness that was going on that tricked the seller in essence into paying a co-op commission. And we're telling you how this is all going to work out, but how all this is going to work out is how it's already worked out in many markets already. It's how you should be doing it anyway. Correct. Period. Okay. So uh, buyer agency will continue to exist because consumers want it. We know this because it's been market tested for decades, probably over 100 years. Buyers need representation, not just to negotiate on their behalf, but to find the right house in the first place. You guys know this from our whole lack of inventory woes to understand different mortgage products and to deal with home inspections, appraisals, and closing details. You know how much more that's going to be valid as more of these national brokerages start essentially having their own private MLSs? Totally. What you just said, well, that gives a huge advantage to those of you that are with huge brokerages like EXP Realty because you're going to have access to listings that other people aren't. That is going to naturally give you a more uh, another it's a huge USP. It is a unique selling proposition to that prospective buyer. You guys mm -hmm. get it? This is how it's this is the most clear path forward. By the way, yes, Julie and I are proudly associated with eXp Realty. And if you'd like to take the next natural step in your real estate career, whether you're a new agent or a seasoned grizzled veteran agent, we would love the opportunity to sponsor you at eXp Realty. We've made your path forward very simple. Uh, first of all, you can scroll down and there's a link if you want to learn more about Julie and I's eXp Realty group and why Thousands of agents are joining with us every single year. Or if you're ready to land the plane and actually join eXp Realty, um, again, we'd love the opportunity to earn the right to be your sponsor. Just text me on my real cell phone, 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. And just let me know that you would like to have the eXp conversation with me. And I, will, I personally will follow up with you. And um, do not call. Please do text 512-758-0206. So will the need for buyer agents increase or decrease? Well, ask yourselves, is real estate becoming easier or more complicated to understand? There are way more intricate market nuances than ever before. People, of course, will need agents now more than ever. But you'll also have to prove to them not just why they would want to sign with you, uh, but why you versus somebody else or versus going unrepresented. 
Okay, point number four, and now we're in the dark. <laughs> Um, what, sh what should you do now? What are the action steps? This was the question du jour on this week's coaching calls. Okay, so point A, be the listing agent as frequently as possible. The listing agent always wins. Buyers will potentially go directly to the listing agent in some cases, and you can only sell the home once, so you'll end up with more leads this way. But that really is, this is the a good true thing. bottom line. Yes. If you <laughs> All roads lead to being the listing agent. You and, you and I... We're actually at a big uh, EXP meeting mm -hmm. here in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. uh, what was it? Two years ago. Yep. And we were amongst a group of the top, you know, folks at EXP. Mm -hmm. And we said what you just said. We said basically because everyone was sort of talking about this and the downward pressures on this and that, the expenses of this and that. And Julie and I stood up and we said the only way forward, the best way forward, the smartest way forward is to focus all your best energies every single day on being a listing agent. Because when you have a listing agent, when you're a listing agent, not only do you have less leverage, but also in this case, you might have all the leverage. I'm thinking of um, Chuck Williamson. Yes. I think at EXP, is our group, mm -hmm. Chuck Williamson is the, either number one, two, or three as far as income earning individual agents. Mm -hmm. So he has one unlicensed assistant or something that does TC work for him. Yep. Uh, and he's, you know, he earns seven figures plus per year. Mm -hmm. All, most of his business comes yeah. from him being the listing agent. Mm -hmm. The prospective buyer is calling him directly. Yep. He isn't a dual agent. He's a seller representative. Mm -hmm. The buyer wants to buy the house. If the buyer wants to be represented, Chuck connects him with an attorney, and then you're off to the races. That's Very clean cut. It, he generates the listing. He does furiously fast lead follow-up. He has been a you know prototypical coaching client, followed all the rules. I know he's listening today. Chuck, we're very proud of you. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I was thinking of... Um had a conversation with John Walkinshaw up in Canada. Another one of our top EXP agents who are a part of our EXP Realty Group. Yes, and he was very confident. You know, Canada kind of uh, sometimes mirrors what we do here. They're making some changes as well. They're messing with uh, what happens with dual agency, going more towards being the listing agent. And he said he is very confident because he is, like Chuck, primarily a listing agent. In fact, virtually the only buyers that he works with are repeat and referral or uh, listings that are also buying. Yep. So those of you who are even 50-50 with 50% listings, but certainly those of you who are heavier on the listing side, absolutely are going to have a way easier time navigating all of this because the listing agent always wins. Now, what should you do now? Be the listing agent as frequently as possible. Point B, become comfortable and confident using a buyer presentation that explains agency, again, you should have been doing that already, exclusive agency, how commissions work, how you work, and what your value is. You've got to make part of this make this part of your skill set immediately. An actual formalized presentation. Yes. Where you actually are explaining to the buyer exactly what you do and why you're worth them uh, hiring, you know, and potentially. Hiring you. Right, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Closing for and getting a signature is easy, appropriate, and professional when you use the buyer presentation. The signature on the state-required agency form and the exclusive buyer agency contract where they, where you're obligating yourself to them and they're obligating yourself to you. And by the way, we also give you, as part of our coaching uh, with the buyer agency uh, training uh, part of the modules in Premier Coaching, we also give you some unique selling propositions in addition to what's in the presentation, why that buyer would want to work exclusively with you. And that's, again, you're going to have to start thinking like a listing agent. And you know, even if you're the listing agent and you're working with a buyer, your seller is becoming a buyer, you're still going to want to follow the formalized process because that is what this industry now is going to require. Even if the laws don't change. Even right. if NARA wins on appeal, the the, the horse has left the left the, uh, the stable. Yes, yes. and and now there's definitely going to be changes in the way business is done. That's right, and I mean everything we've talked about today folds right into why you'd want to buy a presentation in the first place to protect yourself, to set expectations, and to decide how you're going to work together. Now, the definition of closing, in this case, closing on a signature on the regular agency plus the exclusive agency. The definition of closing is the logical ending to a great presentation. If a buyer won't sign the agreement after seeing your presentation, find out why, overcome the objection if possible, or refer them to another agent. That's okay. That's how it's supposed to go. Now, last and final point, 
Point number C on what you should do now. Be flexible, be educated, and pivot as the rules and practices pivot. Offer maximum value on both the listing side and the buyer side. Have your presentations polished and proven. Get help when you need it. Monitor what your broker, your MLS, and your state and local associations are deciding to change, but also be involved in coaching. It, this is really critical because let's say some of these changes do hit. And maybe we're not so lucky. Maybe they say, you know, you've got to do this and that, and you have to use these forms, and you have to explain it this way. Or maybe there's going to be some sort of sea change, worst case scenario, no more buyer agency. Well, there's buyer agency, but it's, we're going to call it something else. But the yes. thing that matters is the seller cannot pay the buyer's agent's commission. And that might, you know, that's your that's worst case scenario. going to change how presentations go. What are we going to do as a coaching organization? We're going to upgrade, polish, make accurate, make very professional all of the presentations that all of our coaching clients use. Now, that could be depending on how all this goes. And again, this isn't going to be something that's like happening tomorrow. We have lots of breathing room. We have lots of time to adapt. Don't panic. It, and it's going, we gave you the three most likely scenarios. Uh, we kind of gave you some scenarios that are in between the three scenarios. And, you know, it's the end result's going to be somewhere in between. So we are going to prepare you. Frankly, I would be surprised if we had to modify our buyer agent content really at Possibly all. Possibly not, because it's pretty much set up, as you said at the top of the podcast. I mean, we've been doing this forever for, all, for maybe different reasons, but right. it all has the same end result. Well, but we've been, the, our system works at all price ranges yes. and all interest rate environments and mm -hmm. all different parts of the country. Yep. Whether you're down in Biloxi, Mississippi, or you're up in some ritzy part of Manhattan, yep. our content, our approach works in all of those markets. And it's mm -hmm. not just me saying it. It's our coaching clients saying it. It's the yep. time on market that's saying it. So if you want to know what to do, it's guess what? Join Premier Coaching and you can join Premier Coaching right now for free. Just scroll down, click the link, join Premier Coaching. Why the heck wouldn't you? What are you going to wait to listen to some more you know, podcasts and YouTube videos to try to figure out what to do? We've just told you what to do. We've told you what actions to take. You, here's the real, at the end of the day, bottom line. Julie said it, I said it, and I want all of you to internalize this. The reason that there's buyer's agents is because good buyer's agents deliver tremendous value to the marketplace. People want to use a professional that is a proven professional that they can trust when making big decisions. How do you prove to them that you're a proven professional that they can trust? Well, you have to have a formal presentation explaining to them what you're doing and how you're doing it. You have to earn the right to be their buyer's agent. It's not just essentially now where you're going to expect the person just to want to work with you because you know you guys connected on Facebook or on LinkedIn. It's going to move away from sort of the social aspect that a lot of you have enjoyed, um, and it's going to move more more towards a formal approach. That's good because it gives you a competitive advantage if you've learned the skills to have that more formal approach. You will have an unfair advantage in the marketplace. I know unfair advantage doesn't sound nice, but I want all of you to have an unfair advantage. But you guys yeah. have earned the right to be a service to other people from the skill set that you've learned deserve to benefit from it. Absolutely. So take action. Don't freak out, but do Come to Premier Coaching, let us help you, let us make this easier on you so that you don't have these sleepless, you know, 3 a.m. real estate night sweats about, oh my gosh, everything's changing, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? You guys, especially our, our, certainly our listeners, but especially our uh, coaching clients, already have the advantage because you're on the front line of finding out about these things. It's the agents that don't listen to podcasts, the agents that don't even know that this happened this week, those are the ones that I worry the most about. Well, and it's... Uh, a vast majority. They have no clue. Sadly. And yes. well, the other thing they're going to do is they're going to latch on to the most salacious, ridiculous, clickbaity, you know. Sure. They're and, going to uh, react to being outraged by the guilty verdict and how could that happen? And they're going to be stuck in that. Whereas all of you guys listening to the podcast and certainly our coaching members are out there helping people. That is what you were supposed to do. And remember, please remember this as well. The greatest fortunes of men and women have always been made during the greatest times of change. In our industry, because of all the things going on, yes. all the things, all of the things. This is without a doubt one of the greatest times of change in the real estate industry, even eclipsing the housing crash. In our opinion, I agree. Yeah. So right now you are in an op you are in the opportunity zone to be one of those folks that you know are going to be part of the change. The greatest fortunes are made during the greatest times of change. You're in one of those times now. Take the next natural step. Become a coaching client. Open your mind to the possibilities. Please do not be operating out of fear. Frankly, fear serves no benefit. If you've been feeling a little bit of fear for the last 48 hours, all right, 48 hours of fearful feeling is over, over. and let's get back to work. That's right. You guys have a great day. I'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.